Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC back in Vegas this weekend for Calvin Gastelum versus Robert Whitaker headlining a not exactly star-studded UFC fight card, but one with a lot of intriguing fights. We'll be breaking down three of those fights as well as giving you an underdog in a parlay that we think will make your wallet fatter as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UFC Vegas 24. Plus, as always, I am bringing you guys the interviews you want to hear. Kicking off the show in just a moment will be my interview with Lupita Godinez as she takes a short-notice fight against former title challenger Jessica Penne. And later on in the show, I'm going to talk to Julius Angelikis before his Bellator fight this upcoming Friday. That's right. We don't usually give you a lot of Bellator content, but when the number five light heavyweight in Bellator comes knocking at the door, you answer the phone and give him a phone call. So... We're talking with Julius Angelikas, and he's got some very interesting stuff to say about that brand new ranking system. So we're going to get to all that great content in just a moment. But before that, I have to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports bettors, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas, and from there you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests. And look, you already read the stuff from these guys, listen to stuff from these guys. Now you get to hear their picks straight from their mouth on the record and in every sport imaginable. And if you head on over there, you can get me on the record making my picks this week for UFC Vegas 24. So make sure you get some bonus picks over there. And if you've got something to say, start your own account, grow your own following. But no matter what you do, make sure to follow us over on BetterThan.Vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Lupi Godinez, who fights Jessica Penne at UFC at the Apex on April 17th. So, uh, Lupita, I, I want to start by asking you about getting that call, because every fighter dreams about getting that call to the UFC. You know, some people remember their manager doing it or their coach telling them. T- tell us about how you found out that you would be fighting in the UFC next. Yeah, well, I uh, my manager was we were in talks about that fight, uh, and um. So he was working really hard for me to get it. And then finally, when everything, it was like settled, he called me. I was actually with my boyfriend at Costco and he faced on me and he was like, we got it. And yeah, that, that was a, that was a pretty, uh, it was, everything happened so fast that, you know, I'm still kind of like, okay, I'm fighting and, and this just happened. Everything is still so fresh, right? And you said he was working on that fight for a while. I'm assuming some of that is because Hannah Goldie, who was supposed to be fighting Jessica Penne, pulled out of their first fight. They tried to reschedule it. It's kind of always been up in the air since then. H- has it been on your radar since that first time she pulled out? Uh, I think it was the second time. Yeah. The awesome. Time. So, so, you know, you, and you mentioned it, it hasn't gotten a chance to sink in yet, but obviously you're in preparations for this fight now. You know, how much of in-camp were you for, for a, this type of, you know, the big step-up? Yeah. Well, I'm always training. I'm always uh, 
uh, you know, getting getting uh, my my training in. And yeah, it was. I'm actually in Colorado right now. I had to rush. Like as soon as I got the call, the next day I had to fly out, and 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 I came here to Denver, and uh, now I'm here training. So I'm super thankful here. I'm getting a really good training here. That's awesome to hear. Now I'm curious too. You know, like you said, you've had this on your radar. But the name Jessica Penny comes with a certain amount of weight, right? Like, she's a big name in the sport. She's on the Ultimate Fighter. She had a chance at the title against Ioana Janjacek. What does it mean to you to get to make your debut against somebody with, with such a big name? Yeah, well, it's super exciting, right? It's such a honor to, to be, to, to step in the cage with her. She's been around for so long, and and it's just, you know, I'm just taking this as, a, you know, one more fight, but at the same time, also really respect her for you know this whole time that she's been she's been there absolutely and, and you mentioned she's been there for a long time i do want to talk a little bit about your career because you know you have a lot of fights but not a lot of pro experience right if people look at the record they see five and oh they don't see the extensive amateur background D- did you think that, th- that this was going to materialize after your big lfa title win or did you think that it might take a little bit more time uh, I wasn't like, of course, I wanted to to get a call, but I wasn't like, like I was open to see what was going to happen. Of course, uh, um, you know, I was like, I was just taking one step at a time. You know, let's see, let's see what happened. We were waiting. We were gonna try to get, well, getting contenders and uh, and go from there. But you know, happened now, and now we're here. That, that certainly makes a lot of sense, you know, the Contender Series being a uh, show that, that has a lot of people with a similar record to you. Now, I'm also curious because, you know, looking around on your social media, you, you said you were, you know, kind of waiting and you're kind of seeing what happens. But it also seemed like you were very willing to step in on short notice. I saw, you know, a previous exchange where you were interested in fighting Angela Hill, who was looking for a short notice opponent and a few other people. Is that kind of always been why you stay ready all the time, or is you know that just kind of your mode? You like to train constantly. Yeah, well, I'm always training constantly, um, and if you see like all my professional, all my professional fights, except the last one, it's been like two two weeks notice, two and a half notice. Like I can do it, so if I can do it, why not? And then if I can have the opportunity, I'm gonna take it. And, and is that frustrating to you that you, you've, you know, you've really never gone into, like you said, with the exception of the one recently against Vanessa Demopoulos, you've never really walked into a fight with a full training camp. Is is that sort of frustrating or do you feel like, you know, that performance against Demopoulos shows what you can do with a full training camp? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't frustrate me because, you know, I, I'm doing what I love every single day. So, like, that is not a reason why to be frustrated. It's, 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 it's my job. It's part of. It's, it's myself, right? So I'm I'm down. <laughs> well, I, I like that a lot, and obviously that's something that the UFC likes a lot. Now, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your amateur career, too, because, you know, we're, we're seeing that a little bit more and more now, where more fighters take a lot of amateur fights before they turn pro, um, whereas, you know, back in the day, there wasn't a lot of places where you could fight amateur. Was that something that you always planned, was doing a lot of amateur fights and then turning pro? Was turning pro always on your mind? Sort of, what was the thinking behind that amateur career? Yeah, well, when I decided to, to start fighting, I had to train for two years before I got my first, my first amateur fight. And the ten, we, we usually do like 10 fights at my gym, at the, like to, to turn pro, just to get the experience. And 
And I mean, if it was up to me, I, w- I mean, I would throw pro like maybe in five fights. But Ken Tran, my coach, he, he, you know, if you see my coach, I was, if you see my, my record, I was four and four, right? And one. So I was, I, I was having a hard time, um, like dealing with the nerves and, and like being comfortable in the cage. And once I find the tune in my last, in my last amateur fight, actually, it, like everything came together. It was like, let's go pro, right? Well, that makes a lot of sense, and it's worth noting that that last amateur fight too did come against UFC veteran Sam Hughes this time. Um, so that that's a big win in its own right. Now, what did you feel like like clicked there for you? Because that that's obviously an interesting concept that you felt like mentally you weren't there. Was there something that you did that changed, or was it just something that that fit in your head better? What what was it exactly that that helped you feel like you were ready? Well, what helped me a lot is uh, dancing before coming out. Like just l- letting all the nerves shake them out, and uh, other thing is just believing on my skills and and just like like I was I, I think I was scared to to look not good in the cage or not to be perfect in the cage, you know, which we all know is almost impossible to have like a perfect fight. Um, but not like I just let that go and I just trust in my skills and myself and I just let it let it. Better do the thing in the cage. Well, I like that mentality, but I do want to ask you a little bit more about dancing on the on the walkout. You you said you you try to dance on the walkout to uh, loosen yourself up. Oh, warm up. Ah, in the warm, warm up. up. So so when you're backstage warming up, you 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 like to dance. Do do you hit mitts as well? Do you, do you do your usual grappling as well, or is it just that to get your blood flowing? Oh no! I do everything. I do my grappling. I do my mids. I dance. I hit me. I hit the mids while I'm dancing. Uh, yeah, just joke around, play around. That's nothing. Like I don't get like super serious. Like that kind of that kind of style is not for me. I try it. That's why I have so many amateur fights. I try every single thing. Trying to hate my opponent. Trying to love my opponent. Trying to, you know, be super serious. Try to get in the moment. Trying everything. And it's just didn't work but what works for me is just having fun enjoying what I do dance and come out and have fun that's how I see it. I'm just gonna go out there have fun and go home that's it well I, I love that mentality and it's clearly shown off in the cage now before I let you go I did want to ask you know you're fighting Jessica Penne you, you've had a performance recently where you know th- that fight with Demopolis did go to decision but man you had her so close to being knocked out that whole time how do you see this one ending with with Jessica Penny? Do you feel like you're the uh, the type of person who can get her out of there? Um, I don't I don't want to call anything, but I hope so. You know, let's <laughs> uh, let's see let's see that day. You know, let's see. I'm I'm really excited. That's for sure. I can't wait to get in there. And uh, yeah, let's let's just uh, keep keep working, right? Absolutely, and we're certainly excited for that fight. Once again, fans, this is Lupi Gudinez, who fights Jessica Penne at UFC in the Apex on April 17th. Lupita, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for doing this. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Lupita Godinez. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby-Vreeland, joined now by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, Dave, let's talk about Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier, because they are apparently beefing. What do you make of all of it? I got to tell you, Gumby, as a longtime professional wrestling fan, sometimes my pro wrestling tentacles go up with stuff like this. 
I think Connor maybe got some data on the Google searches and the fight just didn't have the hype it needed, him coming off the loss. And I think this is his way of, you know, working an angle, as they say. Let's also not forget, this is a guy who has said he's going to retire 12 or 15 times and always says silly shit online. I'm not really buying any of this. I think there's still a ton of mutual respect for them. I think they're going into hype mode for the fight. What do you think? I think you're right on the Conor McGregor side. Um, and I know you didn't delve too much into Dustin Poirier. It just doesn't it doesn't reek like something Dustin Poirier would do to build hype, especially because his, his charity's name is kind of in the muck here. Well, I guess it's not in the muck. Bad things didn't happen to his charity, but like I feel like he wouldn't use his charity for fight hype. Whereas I feel like he he pointed out that Connor probably did something actually fucked up because guess what Connor McGregor occasionally does really fucked up things so I totally buy that that actually happened and then Connor well, was like fill, oh. fill the fill fill the fans in who aren't as tied in as you and I on how Connor's comeback ah uh, yes yeah, so Connor uh, promised half a million dollars of his purse from their second fight which was the most recent one. Uh, to go right to Dustin Poirier's charity. His wife even uh, very graciously walked into Connor's uh, dressing room after the fight and thanked him for changing people's lives. And then seemingly uh, the check never got sent. Uh, there's some debate about Connor asked for some stipulations about where it was going to go and stuff like that. It's like a it's a charity, dude. Like, and they give kids things and uh, help out people in Uganda with water wells and stuff like that. So like. Dude, it's going good places. Um, so that's basically what Poye just tweeted it out. And and I think that that's probably all of that is happened and is real. And, and you know, Dustin Poye was just like, hey, dude, where's the money? Like, and probably shouldn't have taken a Twitter to do it or, you know, probably should have found another avenue. But, hey, that's how you get Connor going. And Connor was like, hey, guess what? Perfect fight promotion. Perfect chance for me to pretend I'm going to back out and make a few extra bucks from Uncle Dana. Like, it, it just, like, played into everything that Conor McGregor was looking for. And it's seemingly blown over. The UFC officially announced the date for the fight and that the fight is actually happening today. So, like, I think probably there was no no funny business here from Poirier. But I think Conor took Poirier's call out as the perfect opportunity to make this funny business. Yeah, that's that's the way I see it, too. And I agree with you completely. I think you, you hit the nail on the head, which is if we're going to sort of break it down, Connor working an angle, Dustin just reacting normally, not really necessarily trying to fight or hype a fight. I do believe that Connor scumbagged them on oh, payment. And Dustin was like, OK, <laughs> if, if you want to if you want to play this game, we'll bring that to the surface. But I'll tell you what I'm more excited about than, you know, potential fake or real fight hype. It's the fact that we got UFC Vegas 24 this weekend. I love a weekend where there, are, where there are fights. When we had that lull two weekends ago, that was just no bueno. So I'm glad the fights are back. And we got Robert Whitaker fighting, friend of the show. So that's always exciting. But before we get into this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays for UFC Vegas 24, one may wonder if any company sponsors Fights, Dogs, and Parlays this week, Gumby. Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlay is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jujitsu, it doesn't matter because you can log your training sessions, tag your training partners, put different techniques in those notes, and so much more. Check it out wherever it is you download apps. So we'll start with the main event, as we've been known to do. Robert Whitaker, a minus 245 favorite. Kelvin Gastelum, a plus 205 dog. Isn't it interesting in this age of instant title rematches that 
Whitaker loses his belt to Israel Adesanya, and for all intents and purposes, Whitaker has really been the stalwart of that division for the last several years, pre Adesanya. Didn't get an instant rematch, did what he had to do, beat Darren Till, beat Jared Cannonier, now looking to beat Kelvin Gastelum, and if he reels off the third win in a row, I would have to think these guys are fighting not just for the title shot, but also for the rematch with Izzy, because they both have losses to Izzy, and Gastelum's even a better showing for Gastelum, being that he went to decision and Izzy couldn't knock him out, a rare feat for Izzy when he's not facing someone like Jan Blankovic. Um, so very interesting matchup here and what the implications are for the 185 division. Uh, I already said that Whitaker's on a two-fight win streak. Well, Gastelum's on a one-fight win streak after losing to Israel Adesanya, losing to Darren Till via split decision, and losing to Jack Hermanson via heel hook. He beat Ian Heinish, now looking to uh, get a little momentum going and beat the former champ. He is a plus 205 dog. Who you got? And, because I'm going to assume it's Robert Whitaker, I'd like to hear a path to victory for Calvin Gastelum. Yeah, it's definitely Robert Whitaker. And it's for me, it's not even as close as the odds are. Negative 235 actually seems kind of juicy for a Robert Whitaker pick here because, you know, I like Calvin Gastelum, but, like, if we're talking about what – you know, what's sold Calvin Gastelum to people for years? What what it makes Calvin Gastelum, you know, a top 10 middleweight? And, and people say, you know, it's like he's explosive. He's fast because he's a smaller middleweight. And, like, you know, he's got some decent wrestling. Do any of those feel like problems to Robert Whitaker? Like, do Robert Whitaker, in order to beat Robert Whitaker, which is a very short list of people who've done it, right? Like, it's been uh, Israel Adesanya. It's been Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Like, and then, you know, I mean, if you go way, way back, you can get some, some crappy losses in like 2012 or something like that. But the the guy, he's got sharp striking. He does a great job of staying away from wrestling. Like he, he didn't get wrestled up by Yoel Romero. He, you know, stayed away from the ground game of Jacare Souza. Like Derek Brunson wasn't able to get in on him. Like, and if those guys aren't able to get in, those guys are better wrestlers. You know, two of the three of them are more explosive than Calvin Gastelum. I just don't see it. And as far as like a path to victory here, I mean, the one thing I will say is Calvin Gastelum has got a little power in his hands. I think he's got more power in his hands than people give him credit for. I'm only going to give him the puncher's chance here. You know, like he tagged Izzy once or twice. I don't know if he wobbled Izzy once or twice, but like he tagged him pretty hard. And he did wobble Chris Weidman, if you want to go back to that fight, before he sort of just fell apart and Weidman took him down and, and tapped him out. I mean, he's got the big KO over Bisping. I would say Calvin Gastelum's best hope here is to try to make this fight messy and tag Robert Whitaker. But, you know, that's the other thing, too, is Robert Whitaker doesn't get sucked into a messy fight. So I just see a very little path to victory here for Calvin Gastelum. I like Calvin Gastelum, but... You know, this ain't it. I mean, like, good for him for getting this fight on short notice. But, you know, yeah, this ain't the right fight for him. For me, it's, you know, boxing, striking, defense, call it what you will. And his ability to not get knocked out, uh, I think, keeps him in the fight long enough where maybe he could steal a couple of rounds. Obviously, I'm going with Whitaker, too. For me, the path to victory for him only lies. Now watch him go and knock Robert Whitaker out and make me look like a fool. But I think the path to victory for him is winning three rounds to two. And I just don't even think that's going to happen. I also agree with you that the odds might be a little too close on this one. Let's move along because this one's rather surprising. Jeremy Stevens, uh, who 
is on a four-fight losing streak, plus you could throw in a no contest for the accidental eye poke to Yair Rodriguez. That, of course, was rematched. He lost via unanimous decision. So it's been a bad five fights for Jeremy Stevens, and that was actually after he put together a nice three-fight win streak with wins over Gil Melendez, Duhu Choi, Josh Emmett. But now, staring down the barrel of maybe even being fired, he's moving up a weight class to 155 and facing Drakkar Close, unranked, coming off a KO loss himself to Benil Darouche. So both guys, you know, potentially fighting just to stay on the roster in a lot of ways. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I don't think Drakkar Close gets cut after this loss, but he, he doesn't want to lose back-to-back to Stevens and Benil Darouche. Who you taking here? And I do want to say, if I didn't already, Jeremy Stevens, the minus-135 favorite, and Drakkar Close, a very slight dog at plus-115. I am surprisingly going to take Jeremy Stevens here. And, and you know, like you mentioned a four-fight losing streak. Let, let's quickly run back those four. Calvin Cater, Yair Rodriguez, Zabit Magomed Sharapov, Jose Aldo. Like, dude, that is a list of fighters, right? And if you talk about before that, he knocked out Duhu Choi. He knocked out Josh Emmett. So, like, he, he has lost four in a row. But it is a brutal four in a row that this dude has fought. And really, when you're talking about Drakkar Close, I'm not sure that Drakkar Close is, it's a good idea for him to box with Jeremy Stevens, right? Like, Jeremy Stevens has been a good boxer, and he's been a good boxer for a great deal of time. Drakkar Close likes to try to wrestle you up, but if you go back, I mean, like, his success rate on wrestling, not great. Like, 0-6 against Bobby Green sticks out to me. You know, like, uh, 2-7 against Christos Diagos, like... You know, like those aren't really good grappling numbers, and, and not that Jeremy Stevens is a beast at, at stopping takedowns, but like he's not bad, and heck, he's even got his offense in there too, right? Like he took Yair Rodriguez down pretty much at will, uh, and you know nearly won that fight by just positional control. So I, I think there's a people are sleeping on Jeremy Stevens. Hey, maybe moving up is what's going to keep his head from getting rattled around. Uh, but like I, I actually think Jeremy Stevens, this is a good fight for him. Uh, I agree with you. I probably, oh man, I think I lean Stevens as well, so I'm actually not going to add on anything. Let's move on. Uh, Andre Arlovsky taking a short notice fight, uh, but still the favorite. He's a minus 135 favorite to Chase Sherman, a plus 115 dog. Andre Arlovsky is coming off a rear naked choke submission loss to Tom Aspinall, but before that, he had beat Philippe Leans, he had beat Tanner Bozer, so one and two in his last three, uh, excuse me, two and one in his last three, and it's always worth noting that the man is 42. Chase Sherman is coming off a win, uh, actually four wins in a row. He beat uh, Frank Tail, Jeremy May, and Rashawn Jackson in island fights, and then made his UFC re-debut and beat Isaac Villanueva. So second stint here in the UFC for Chase Sherman, working off a uh, a four-fight win streak when you take in Island Fights and his re-debut in the UFC. Who are you taking here? So you guys know I'm a huge Andre Arlovsky, Mark, and, and I've constantly talked about how he shouldn't be underdogs in fights. And I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure he should be a favorite in this fight. Um, you know, like, not that... So, so officially, I'm going to pick Andre Arlovsky, but only because I don't ever not officially pick Andre Arlovsky. Um, but it worries me a lot, the style of this fight. I, I would say Chase Sherman is a terrible matchup for him. Chase Sherman is a guy who has recently realized, you know, he did a whole bunch of bare-knuckle boxing. He likes to get in people's faces and just throw and make it messy. And if you look at the guys that Andre Arlovsky has been beating lately, 
They're guys who get complacent with fighting that point fight style against him, which he has mastered now. He's gotten very good at that. But, like, there's a reason Tom Aspinall just went at him. You know, Tom Aspinall just went at him because he knew if he played that, you know, patty cake point style fight on the outside, he was going to get beat. Uh, and, and so he went in and got it. And, and it was pretty easy for him once he did that. And, and I'm just a little bit worried that Chase Sherman is the type of guy who gets in Andre Arlovsky's face enough uh, that that this could get into being a dirty matchup. And when it gets to being in a dirty matchup, that never favors a 42-year-old guy who's had his head knocked silly 48 times. So uh, officially, I'm picking Andre Arlovsky because I always do. But uh, I will give the caveat, this one makes me feel pretty bad. Do you remember the wild shootout Arlovsky versus Travis Brown? Oh, it was one of the best one-round fights in the history of mankind. Maybe only behind Pat Berry versus Shek Congo, which is another one of my favorite one-round fights. I think that one was only two minutes and 30 seconds, to be honest. It wasn't even a full round. But yeah, I mean, like, dude, it was crazy, and he was super durable. And, like, you can go back and point to portions of his career where he was durable. But then since then, you know, like, knocked out by... Naganu knocked out by Yair Rodriguez or not Yair Rodriguez, Yair Rosenstrike. Like in, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, well, this guy doesn't punch as hard as Naganu because nobody does in the whole world. That's true. But also just remember for like a quick second too, that concussions like pile up on the human brain. Right. So like when, well, well, when you talk about those two concussions, like they've took their toll. And what I was going to say is, I mean, I don't have it in front of me. I could put the intern on it. But how many years ago was that? Four? Five? I bet it you was when Travis Brown that, was still playing. <laughs> so I'm, that being said, it's just crazy to me that here Arlovsky is still fighting in his early 40s. Travis Brown is off of Ronda Rousey, like raising pigs on a farm or something like that. It's just it's wild to me that this man is still fighting. Because typically when guys get into a crazy shootout like that, I don't know. I feel like their careers kind of wind wind down soon thereafter. But here so, we are. So just so you know, the intern got right on that. That fight was six years ago, man. <laughs> oh, my God. May yeah, of 20, that's, May that's... of 2015. <laughs> That is just crazy. Um, All right, so let's get to our dog of the week. It's Bill Algio plus 110 over Ricardo Ramos. Break it down. So first of all, I love Bill Algio. I think Bill Algio is one of the more underrated dudes in the UFC. Uh, I think his nickname, Senior Perfecto, is a really sweet one, especially because uh, I don't believe uh, he's particularly... Uh, Mex- Mexican Spanish speaking, but he would see your perfecto anyway. But you guys might remember his debut was against Ricardo Ramos or Ricardo uh, Lamas in like he's fighting Ricardo Ramos this time, but he fought Ricardo Lamas on short notice and was in a war with him and went 15 minutes taking some huge shots. He followed that up by taking on another big puncher in Spike Carlisle and handled him nicely over 15 minutes. I just think he's got the right kind of style to beat. Ricardo Hamosh. Like, Hamosh is a guy who likes to strike. He likes to put his opponents away. I don't think he's going to be able to put Bill Algio away, and I think Bill Algio's stamina here takes him through this fight. All right, I like it. Our parlay to play, uh, Josie Ann Nunes, minus 135. Lupita Godinez, minus 300. Now, minus 135, minus 300. Pair that together. It does get you plus money at plus 130. Let's hear it. So, first of all, Josie Ann Edward, or Nunes, woof. Trying that one more time. Uh, is fighting Zara Farain, who is 0-2 in the UFC and has been finished in the first round twice. How she's getting a third fight, kind of shocked. Uh, could be that it was losses to Megan Anderson and Felicia Spencer. So I guess no shame in that. But she looked really bad in those. She's fighting a newcomer who's a big power puncher out of Brazil. 
almost sort of feels like the UFC is trying to give the power puncher out of Brazil a chance to kind of like make a name for herself and maybe get somebody who's interesting again at Bantamweight uh, because it is getting a little stale in that division with Holly Holm fighting for every other title shot. So, you know, Nunez here, I think, is a slam dunk as a, as a newcomer, as long as she comes in with that same style she's had on the regional circuit. I think she takes this one. And Lupita Godinez is so fun to watch. If you didn't get a chance to watch her fight for the LFA title, or CFFC title, rather, like, go back and watch that thing. She, she looks so good against Vanessa Demopoulos. She's fighting Jessica Penne coming off a four-year layoff uh, it, it, with, like, cancellations and all kinds of other things. And she was a bad matchup for Jessica Penny in her prime, right? Like, Penny doesn't like volume punchers who, like, throw haymakers on the odd chance they do get close enough. So, uh, I think Godinez is just the right kind of matchup anyway. And then you add in the four-month layoff, even at negative 300, it seems like a nice one to have in a parlay to boost those Josie Nunez odds up a little bit from the negative to the positive. Well, I'll tell you it's all positive, and it's us bringing you Fight dog, fight Dogs and Parlays every week. We love to do it. We hope you love listening to it. Follow us on Twitter at Top Turtle MMA. While these fights are going on, let us know if we did you dirty. Let us know if we did right by you with some of these picks. We're pretty good at what we do, so we're confident we gave out some good gambling advice here. Uh, Gumby, let's keep the train moving. Choo-choo. What should we do next? And we're going to transition now to the aforementioned interview with Julius Angelikis from Bellator. He's fighting this weekend, and it's going to be an exciting one. He's going to tell you all about that, as well as his thoughts on the ranking system, right now. All right, and joining me today is Julius Angelikis, who fights Gregory Millard at Bellator 257 on Friday, April 16th. So, Julius, I wanted to start by talking about the Bellator rankings, because those just come out. They're fresh. They're brand new. And you see yourself come in at number five in the light heavyweight division. Now, I'm curious, a couple of questions about that. First of all, what are your thoughts about where you are ranked? And what are your thoughts on them developing a ranking system in the first place? Uh, I think the ranking system, the idea of it, it's really, really cool. I was wondering when they would do that. And when, when I was ranked five, it kind of caught me off guard. Like, I was really surprised because I knew the tournament was going to happen and I was not in it. So... I knew I was probably definitely not even top eight. Uh, so it was really cool that they put me in the top five, but I think it's just a beginning of the, of the ranking just because they did not added the UL and the rumble. So I think once they fight, they're going to be put in. So I think the whole ranking system is going to be edited right after they fight. But it was definitely cool, like really nice surprise for them to like even consider to put me in number five, like right in the middle. So I know it's going to change left and right once they're going to add a few more guys in. But as like the first ranking, like I'm I'm happy with it. Like I, I really appreciate uh, what they think. And, and you mentioned at the beginning, you're, you're happy that they came out with rankings because I know some people, you know, in other organizations that's already had rankings sometimes get a little bit upset at them or, or don't like that they're even there. You know, like, what particularly do you like about the rankings? Do you like that you just know where you stand? Do you like, you know, having that kind of visual to know what, how far you have to go? What is it about the rankings you like? Uh, I do think, like, people going to be, like, fighting for the spots, and it kind of gives an idea for the people who who is next, who should fight who. Because uh, before it was just kind of unknown which was also very interesting. Like the rankings are cool, but at the same time, without rankings is 
really interesting as well. It's like everybody just becomes like as individual and there is nobody like, oh, you're better than me. He is better than you. It's just everybody's good and they're just matching everybody together versus, well, right now, their ranking is already kind of saying, okay, supposedly this guy is better than this one. This guy is better than this one and they should fight like to move up. So it gives this little bit more like, I guess, more like a ladder that you have to climb up to get to the belt. While before it was, there was no ladder. You just, I guess, had to perform well and then they would give you a title shot. So it's, it's interesting right now. I feel people are going to try to climb up that number, that ladder in those rankings to get to that champion. For sure. And and I want to talk to you about people, you know, seeing that on you as well. But I, I wanted to go back to what you said before about the light heavyweight tournament, which obviously started recently with Ryan Bader versus Loyola Machida. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously there are a couple of matchups coming out on the same card as you're fighting as well. When they originally announced that there was going to be a light heavyweight tournament and obviously, you know, you're you're right there in the mix of things. Were you surprised that they didn't ask you to be a part of it? Were you surprised that your name wasn't one of the eight they unveiled? Um, not too much. I, I have respect for all those guys and they legends and they only had two fights in Bellator. So it's like, sure. Okay. Maybe I could compete with them, but they have the names. I feel they deserve it. I was just, I'm not quite there yet for like to, to, to put the name to be in it. Like I was like, I guess right on the edge, which is what I would consider fair. So I guess I'm old and if something would happen, they would pull me in. But I'm, I'm not too upset. I can't be greedy and say like, oh, I needed to be in a tournament. Oh, I need a title shot right now. It's a process. Those guys earned it. They have those names. And um, I need to build my way up as well. So hopefully after this fight that I have, hopefully I perform well, just like in my last two. And then I think it, it's going to be hard to um deny okay like Julius is good like those three fights weren't like those two first fights they weren't a fluke he performed good in the third one okay now he belongs with the other guys because right now I only had two fights so I think there's still some question for them like okay is Julius actually as good as we saw him so uh, I'm not too upset uh but I am honored that like they had me as an alternate so that's good that that is good too, and and I'm curious too. So you you said they officially like have told you in the past that that you're like right on the edge, or is that something that you just feel? Uh, that's that's what I talk about. Like I don't know if it's definite that I'm alternate. That's what I heard. Um, how true it is, I don't know. I don't know what's happening behind the scenes. I mean, they told me. I don't know. It's just like get me excited to get me ready, but uh, it is kind of true. It's. I mean, when you come to the new promotion, especially like I was not in a big promotion before, I only had, I was in LFA and like smaller promotions. So me coming to like big promotion like Bellator, like I do feel I need to prove myself. I can't just go in to somebody's house and just say like, hey, it's my house right now. Like, no, no who, who does that? Like, so uh, it's, yeah, I just needed those few wins and I, I believe I was right on the edge. Because they did want me to, I thought this fight is going to be, I'm going to fight like one of the big names, but they said, uh, let, let's give Julius one more. So it was kind of 50-50. It's like, could we give Julius somebody big 
should we give Julia somebody again in like in the middle range? Mm, let's just give Julia somebody in the middle range. So that gave me an idea like, okay, I do this one and then I'm in the pool with the big sharks. That certainly makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm curious, too, how much does that alter your training moving forward? You know, obviously, you have this fight with, with Gregory Millard first, and, and that's a, a fun and exciting one and, and one you want to go out and perform well for. But do you just leave this fight and go right back into camp, you know, knowing that there's a possibility that one of these guys fall out and they need a replacement and you need to jump in there right away? Is it something where you feel like you have to go right back into camp? Uh, it depends how healthy I am. And like you know, if I have my own little stresses in this camp, stuff like that. If they call me, cool, I'll go back to it. If I'm healthy, I'll keep training. But I'm, I'm not gonna try to consider it a fight right away because it's a mental game, and you kind of need to relax your mind just as much as you need to relax your body. So after this fight, if I'm healthy, I'll definitely keep working out, but I won't have like the fight mindset on my mind. I'll definitely keep training and I'll definitely keep going, but I'm not going to have it locked in, ready to go. But if they fall out, then, I mean, I'll jump in. I mean, I don't think I'll be so much out of shape um, since I just fought. Um, When is the second rounds of um, the tournament, do you know? Uh, I believe they're in a couple of months, so so they would probably be, you know, like two two or three months after your fight. So, yeah, I I would imagine plenty of time to jump back in there. Right, because it just is just usually I just take like two weeks off, not necessarily from training, like I still work out, but I just take my time, go easy, make sure everything is healthy, make sure my mind is nice and ready. And uh, yeah, so I, I never get out, get out of shape and I'll definitely not get out of shape after this one. It's just a little, little quick mental break and a little bit break for my body. But um, after that, yeah, I'll go back in it because if not a tournament, then I'm sure they're going to have something else ready for me. So I'll be fighting either way. Um, so, I'll, yeah, I'll just be getting ready for it. But if somebody drops out and they need me to fill in, awesome, I'll take it. Well, we'd, we'd certainly love to see that as well. Not that we're wishing injury on anybody, exactly. but we'd love to see it as well. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about the fight, too, because you're fighting Gregory Millard, a, a guy who, you know, maybe not a lot of people have heard about. He, he's a, a relative newcomer, considering where you kind of are in your career. What did you know about him prior, if anything at all? And, and what have sort of you found out about him since you've started getting ready for the fight? Um, I didn't know him before. I mean, there's a lot of 205ers, and I guess because of his record, his 12 and 6, so I guess maybe his name wasn't out there too much, but I looked him up and he's a strong guy. He's a little bit shorter than me. I think he's the same height as my last opponent, but he's a good striker. He throws a lot of power and he finished a lot of people, so he's definitely a dangerous opponent. I'll definitely have to keep my A game because anything could happen, and plus I'm sure he's going to come in hungry. He hasn't fought in two years, and and he like finishes people. And his first day on like, I thought I thought he fought in Bellator, but anyway, like it's he's gonna be back, so I'm sure he's gonna be hungry. There's it's win-win for him. There's nothing to lose for him. So I'm I'm number five. He's not ranked. He just signed. He's excited to go, so I'm sure he's gonna come out hungry and ready and prepared. So um, it's that's. I'm prepared for a really tough fight, so um, 
because yeah, I looked him up. He, he definitely finishes people with ground and pound and just from standing. So I'll have to watch out for him. So I'll be I'll be ready for it. For sure. And before I like to let any of my fighters go, I, I usually like to try to ask you for a prediction. How, how do you see this one going this upcoming Friday? Um, I would say just like my last one, I think I'll outpoint him um, and I'll just keep touching, keep touching him. That's the thing. I'm not sure how his cardio is because I could not find too much footage of him. I know he fought at 85 a lot and then he moved to 12 high. So I would guess he maybe will get tired. So I would, I'm just going to say stoppage in the third. All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Julius Angelikas, who fights Gregory Millard at Bellator 257 on Friday, April 16th. Julius, thank you so much for the time, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also couldn't do what we do without the mothership, cagesidepress.com, or either of our sponsors, Maroon Social and Better Than Vegas. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TopTurtleMMA. You'll get all kinds of extra bonus content there, as well as finding some of the other shows in our feed, such as the Prelim Primer and the Coach's Corner. So make sure to check it all out there. And until next time, I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we'll catch you then.